Uh, before we um, stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I, I want to put it into context. I think I can say without reservation that this is probably one of the most amazing passages of scripture in the entirety of the Bible. If, if you can't grasp the immensity of it and how profound it is, um, you need to go to a doctor for a checkup. It really is a fascinating passage of scripture. If you're not a Christian this morning, you've come in to the congregation and you're just kind of checking it out or somebody drug you or whatever it is, you're right where you're supposed to be. If, if you pay attention, God's going to blow your mind. Now, if you, you want to check out and just, you know, fiddle on your phone, then you're going to miss why you're on this earth. God is going to speak to you so profoundly in such a way that you've never heard that you'll be without excuse and you'll be blown away, absolutely blown away. That being said, the context of the passage in Daniel 9, as we recover, uh, recall, uh, recover our study last week, as you recall last week, Daniel was concerned about his people and the nation and the city of Jerusalem, which was in destruction, destroyed. He began to pray and he confessed his sins. He confessed the sins of his people. He knew he was where he was and they were where they were as a result of their disobedience to God. And we really get in a world of hurt when we walk away from the Lord. And so Daniel's there crying out to God during the evening sacrifice, remembering back when he was a child when the sacrifice would be happening and he was thinking about the sacrifice and the blood and, and crying out to God. And, and in the midst of his prayer, an angel appears to him by the name of Gabriel. And Gabriel says to, to Daniel, and we covered this last week, he says, Daniel, you're greatly beloved. And when he says you're greatly beloved, he says, I've now come forth to give you skill and understanding. You're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. He says, Daniel, before we get into the 70 weeks and the intensity of the visions that you've been seeing that are just overwhelming you, you need to grasp this. You're greatly beloved. And, and I, I'm going to give you understanding through my angel and through, through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you understanding so you can grasp this and it'll be a blessing not only to you, but for generations to come. And as Daniel was greatly beloved, he wasn't beloved because of what he did or didn't do. We know that he was a sinner because he was crying out to God. He wasn't beloved because of what he did or didn't do. He was beloved because of what God had done. Christians are not good people because of what we do. We're good people because of what Christ has done. I, I fail the Lord and I fail mankind more than you probably do. And, and the reality is I'm not acceptable because of what I've done or haven't done. I'm acceptable because of what Christ has done. His righteousness has been put on my account that my sin has been paid for and the penalty has been covered. That's why I can have a relationship with God because Christ took care of the penalty. The wages of sin is death. Blood must be shed for the remission of sin. And so Daniel's the same way. He's beloved and we're beloved, not because of what we've done or haven't done, but because of what God has done. Now that being said, this is the last thing. That being said, because we're greatly beloved, and we covered that last week, because we're greatly beloved, therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Today, you, listen, today you have to put on your thinking caps. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's no excuse today. You have to pay attention. Turn your cap around, put your thinking cap on. This is important stuff. Yes. Pay attention. Amen? Amen? Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'm going to pick up at verse 20. I know it's remedial, but it's important. Verse 20, 
Daniel's writing, chapter 9. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, that's chapter 7, being caused to fly swiftly, he's an angel, he's got wings, reached me about the time of the evening offering. We covered that. And Gabriel, inf- Gabriel informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understanding. Everyone say skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. All right? Everybody got that? Yes. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. This is for the Jews and for Jerusalem. Anyone who wants to dismiss that and say it's about the church isn't reading the scripture. It's for the Jews and for Jerusalem. So he says seven, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city. So pay attention. You've got to gain understanding. Here we go. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to steal, seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy one. Now know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, not to rebuild the temple, but to rebuild Jerusalem, the city, until Messiah the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, meaning killed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood, meaning an army will come in as a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Anyone else confused? (laughs) All right, let's pray and go home. No, 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 we're here to gain understanding. Lord... If any man lacks wisdom, your word says, all he needs to do is ask of you and you'll give freely to him who asks. We ask right now. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Guide and direct us. Give us understanding that we would honor you as we receive this most remarkable living text. May it pierce every heart present for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, sit down. Put your seatbelts on. I'm not kidding. This is trippy. Daniel's praying for the well-being of his people and for Jerusalem, which has been destroyed. He's in exile in Babylon. He's been there the entirety of his life since he was a young boy, 13 years old. His body's been mutilated. His parents have been killed. His city's been destroyed. He's now in exile in Babylon in a pagan culture. He served through three administrations, three different governments. He's now praying in his elderly age. And Gabriel appears in the vision, appears to speak to him. He, and and he's, he's seeking uh, what's going to happen to his people. He's burdened for his people. And, and Gabriel says, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understanding. I, that last prophecy, um, it, it left you overwhelmed, physically exhausted. I've come to give you skill to understand. And he says, at the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, verse 23, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. We covered that last week. You're greatly beloved. Not only is Daniel, but so are we. And as a result, Gabriel says, therefore, and because you're greatly beloved, folks, if you're greatly beloved of God, for God so loved the world, greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. 
Daniel, put your big boy pants on and pay attention. And Daniel, all right, what do you got for me? And Gabriel says, here we go. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of all sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up a vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore the building, truth, and stretch marks on the brain. Just, uh. but it's not that tough. Daniel didn't hear it that way. He's like, okay, go ahead. He's like, okay, all right. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So when the command goes out to rebuild Jerusalem, which is in desolation right now, until the Messiah. So the command goes out and then the Messiah comes, okay? There's gonna be seven weeks, okay, seven weeks. And then there's gonna be 62 weeks, okay? So 62 and seven is, is 69 weeks, okay? And the street shall be built again, and the wall even to troublesome times. Now, let me put it to you in Daniel's mindset, okay? We have a Roman mindset on a calendar. We think in Roman numbers. For example, how many years is a decade? How many years is a decade? Ten. So... 480, or let's just say 40, or four decades is how many years? Yeah, 40, right? Four decades is 40 years. That's how we think. How many days are in a week? Okay, in, in Daniel's mindset, not only was the week sanctified by God, and then we go into the Sabbath, and every day was important, and the seven is the number of completion, but every seventh year, the ground was to be fallowed, so that it would have a Sabbath every seventh year. So instead of thinking in decades, the Hebrews thought in regards to a week of years, which is seven years. So a week of years would be how many years? You get it? So one week of years is seven years. So Daniel gets it. He sees this idea that, that there shall be seven weeks... So what's seven times seven? Okay, so it's 49 years. And then he says there's going to be 62 weeks. Now that's a tough one to kind of fathom. That's 434 years. I just I thought of that. <laughs> and so you add 49 to 434, you get 483 years. 483 years until the Messiah comes. So when the decree goes out to rebuild Jerusalem... 483 years will pass and the Messiah will come. Hmm. Okay. Now you go, okay, well, we still have a problem. Daniel understood it, but we have to gain understanding. There was a man by the name of Sir Robert Anderson who was knighted by Queen Victoria in 1895 for a book that he published called The Coming Prince. He actually worked at Scotland Yard during the time that uh, Doyle wrote uh, Sherlock Holmes, Right? And they say that, that the author of Sherlock Holmes used Robert Anderson, Sir Robert Anderson, as his model for a guy who was a, an unbelievable investigator. And so Sir Robert Anderson put together a, a, an in-depth study of Daniel chapter 9, the verses we're reading now. And he started to look at the difference between the Hebrew calendar, the Gregorian calendar, the Roman, all the different pictures. 
And he came to realize that the, the Hebrew calendar has 360 days in it. We have 360, 365, and then a leap year is every, what, fourth year? Leap year. If you're born on a leap year, you only have a birthday every four years or something. I don't know how it works. But they had a 360-year calendar, and they would, they would compensate with other days to make sure that the festivals fell on the exact time of the year. In contrast, the Islamic world uses the, the Islamic calendar. It's 360 days, but they don't compensate for it. So Ramadan falls. It could fall at Christmas or it could fall in the summertime. Ramadan just fluctuates. But for us, Christmas is always in December, and Easter is always in March or April, and that's how it was with the Hebrews. They had a 360-day calendar, a 360-day calendar. And so Sir Robert Anderson said, okay, 483 years times 360 days. And as he did the calculations, it came out to 173,880 days. 173,880 days. So, when the decree goes out, to rebuild Jerusalem. The clock starts tipping, uh, ticking. 173,880 days. So when the decree goes out, we're counting down every day. 173,879, 173,878, right? So you go, okay, so what? I'm glad you asked me that. When did the decree go out to rebuild Jerusalem? Oh, with Ezra. Mm, no, not Ezra. Oh, no, no, pastor, I've done my work. Ezra, they rebuilt the temple. Ah, 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 that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says rebuilding of Jerusalem, not the temple. Well, still in Ezra because they, they reinstituted, the, they, they, they reinstituted the, the sacrificial law. No, 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 no. It's when the city was rebuilt. Not the temple, not the restructuring. The very first time the decree ever went out to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes started his reign in 465 BC. We know that. Historical documentation, 465 BC. Very clear. So, we take a look at Nehemiah chapter 2. It came to pass in the month of Nisan. Not the car, the month. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, De, uh, Nehemiah was the, the winekeeper. He was the wine steward. He'd protect the king. He'd test the food. And so when wine was before him, that he took the wine and gave it to the king. So Nehemiah gives him the wine. And, and as a servant, you're not supposed to show any expression. You're just, you're invisible. Now, I had never been sad in the presence of the king before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. What's wrong with you, Nehemiah? So I became dreadfully afraid because the king's able to kill him now. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request, Nehemiah? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And the king said, Yes. Clock starts ticking. Now, we know without question that he ascended the throne in 465 B.C., 
The decree to rebuild Jerusalem was given on the first day of Nisan, which is the 20th year of Artaxerxes. So you go 465, take 20 years off because he'd already been reigning for 20 years. So we're at 445. And, this, and, and the first day of Nisan would be March 14th, 445 BC. Sir Robert Anderson was very clear in his calculations. Nobody disagrees with that date. March 14th, 445 BC, the clock of Daniel begins to tick. 173,880 ticks required. Every year is a tick. Kind of cool. Some of you are going, so what? Hang on. Calm down. When the decree goes out from Artaxerxes, as we read in Nehemiah, this is the part that's amazing. The reason why in Daniel it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, which is what Artaxerxes gave in Nehemiah, until the prince, the coming of the Messiah, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And you're going, well, why did they break it down that way? Why seven weeks and then 62 weeks? Well, seven times seven is 49, right? It took 49 years to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And then there were 62 more weeks, 62 times seven, right? And we came up with a number of 434. Those 434 years after the city had been built begin to continue to tick. And that's why they described it that way. They described the time it needed to build the city, which was 49 years, and then the 434 years remaining until the Messiah comes. He says, and after 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, meaning he's going to be killed. He can be crucified. But not for himself. Jesus didn't die for himself. He was sinless. He died for you and me. Died for the sins of the people. And the people of the prince who is to come, after Jesus, the Messiah is killed, there's going to be the people of the prince who's going to come. And who was Israel ruled by during Jesus' time? Romans. Titus Vespasian. Okay? So it says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Titus Vespasian wiped it out. And the end of it shall be a flood with a flood, meaning he brought the 5th, the 10th, and the 12th legions in, and they wiped out Jerusalem. Until the end of the war of desolations are determined, and then it goes on to say, and this is the 70th week, and we'll cover it later, but he says, then shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, and we'll cover that in the coming studies. But I want to cover the 69 weeks right now. What happened? What happened? You see... 49 years occurred after Artaxerxes declared that the city of Jerusalem would be built. 49 years occur. Now there's 62 weeks. There's, there's 430, yeah, 434 years remaining, and the clock's ticking. 483 years, as we calculated the 49 and the 443, a lot of you, like, but just pay attention. The calculation comes out to, and don't forget this, 173,880 days. So if we go from March 14th, 445 B.C., and we go through history, 178,000, or excuse me, 173,880 days. I'll do it slower. From March 14th, 445 BC, at 173,880 days, it brings us, you ready? It's kind of cool. It brings us to April 6th, 32 A.D. Eh, so what? I wouldn't do that quite yet. 
April 6, AD 32. Hmm. Let's go to Luke chapter 19. Please turn there. Luke chapter 19. For just a moment before we read it, what's next Sunday? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. That's Luke 19. You know what's cool about Palm Sunday? It's, a, it's in Luke 19. It's, it's where they declared Jesus to be king and he didn't stop them. Every other time in scripture, he said, no, 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 no. My time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. No, 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 no. And then when they began to declare he was king, the Pharisee says, shut up. Tell them to shut up. And Jesus said, if they are quiet, even the rocks will cry out. That's Palm Sunday. That's Palm Sunday. So 173,880 days from... March 14th, 445 B.C. brings us to April 6th, 32 A.D. April 6th, 32 A.D. When was that? That was Luke 19, starting with verse 29. You ready for what happened on that day? Here we go. It came to pass when Jesus drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent their way and found it just as he had said to them, but as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? I love this. It's like Star Wars. What are you doing with this colt? This is not the colt you're looking for. (laughs) The master has need of it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, oh, take it. (laughs) The master, oh, oh. I mean, that's miraculous in and of itself, right? Why are you taking my colt? The master has need of it. Doesn't even ask, what master? Oh, okay, okay, okay. But there's more. It's like selling ginseng, but there's more. Verse 32. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Verse 34. And they said, the Lord has need of it. Verse 35. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. The colt is the ride of a king. This is the limo. This is, this is, this is how a king rides. Uh, Ken Graves says it's not much of a manly ride because you can just imagine this brawny guy going, his legs are dragging on the ground as a you know, colt is riding. <laughs> but it was to them. It is the ride of a king. And so they, sent their, they, they put their clothes and they set it on Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. What are they doing? They're acknowledging his royalty. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling him king. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling him king. He's coming in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Pay attention over here if you would. Isn't it fascinating? Jesus comes in 
And for the first time in the history of his earthly ministry, he's declaring himself to be a king and he's allowing the people to declare him king. He's riding into Jerusalem, which he has rule and reign over, not just as a king, but the Messiah who's come to deliver their people from their sins. Psalm 118 uh, it reads, I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, that's Hosanna. I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar. Sacrifice, saving of sin. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The people are crying out, Hosanna. They're declaring him king. Everything in, in, a, in, a, in line with what was declared by Gabriel in Daniel chapter 9, and, and the Pharisees... These are the guys that study to show themselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. They memorize entirety of scripture. They memorize Psalm 119 by the time that they're 13 years of age. They know the scriptures backwards, forward, and up and down. Every T is crossed. Every I is dotted. They, they assign a number to every letter so that the transcriptions of the, of the text themselves would be perfect. They know the word. They know Daniel. They know the 70 weeks. They know the decree from Artaxerxes. They know the 173,880 days. They know every aspect of it. They know it took 49 years to rebuild after Nehemiah had gotten the declaration from Artaxerxes. They know 62 weeks. They know seven years or in every week. They know all of it. They know every bit of it. And there... April 6, 32 AD, he is over the city riding as a king, declared by Gabriel 173,880 days prior. And the Pharisees tell him to shut up. Because you're messing with my world. Nobody likes their little fiefdoms interrupted. And I got news for you. There's two rules that govern the universe. There is a God. And you are not him. And no matter what fantasy you've developed, no matter creating this idea that you've been created from some primordial soup by a cosmic accident in the sky, yet every year you watch the seasons come and the seasons go and the rain falls softly on your fields and the food show up at your table and we're 5%, we're 93 million miles from the sun and if we move 5% further, we burn to death, 5% further away, we freeze to death, we're held in a delicate balance on nothing and you've come up with some concept that you're, you're, you've been created from a single-celled creature. You look at a single-celled creature, and then it's intricate. It's not even... What? <laughs> and you've come up with this idea just to dismiss God from the equation. And you're saying, shut up. I don't, in spite of the facts, I am the, the ruler of my domain. And God owes me some answers. <laughs> Do you know who you are? He holds the heavens in the span of his hand. That's 93 million miles to the sun. You'll never get there. Let alone to the edge of our galaxy. And there's galaxies outside. Every star you see is a galaxy outside. Like a Milky Way galaxy. You go outside, there's more of them. He holds that here. Amen. 
come down to the Milky Way galaxy. You just come down to our solar system. You just come down there to the Earth. You just come down to where you are, right there in Newberry Park. And I'm sitting in the seat of God knows the answers. God knows the answers. No, he doesn't. <laughs> and he's given you answers in spite of your arrogance and mine. Listen, I sat in the same seat you sat in. And he's showing you a clock that ticked 173,880 times. <laughs> And Jesus gets over the city and the people who knew it the most were the ones who rejected it first. Tell them to shut up. Jesus says, it doesn't matter if I tell them to shut up. The rocks will cry out because I created those also. <laughs> and after he heard these religious leaders deny the truth of the word of God, look what happens next, verse 41. Now, as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept over it. If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close in on you on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Ah, uh, he wept over them because of the horrible calamities that would come upon them as a result of their missing the day of the opportunity to know peace with God. Today's the day of salvation. He gave them a clock that ticked 173,880 days and those men knew every day of it. And his heart broke because in spite of the facts, they turned him down. And shortly thereafter, Titus Vespasian would declare the end of temple rule and to shut it down, he declared to the Roman legions, the 5th, the 10th, and the 12th legions, don't burn it, but a million people were massacred and the drunken Roman legions decided to throw a torch into the temple and it lit on fire and became a cauldron, burning, smoldering. And the gold in the temple began to melt at the unbelievable heat and the temperatures and it trickled down into the crevice of every stone in the temple. So awful was the massacre that Titus Vespasian, who wasn't a believer, cried out and said, God, please don't hold, the, hold me accountable for this. I never intended this as millions lied massacred all over the ground as a result of denying the time of their visitation and the Roman legions wanting to get some sort of, of victory spoils began to rip the stones apart to get to the gold that had melted into the crevices and not a single stone was left on top of another. They wiped and destroyed the entirety of the temple. I've been there, I've seen it with my own eyes as declared in Daniel 9. And Jesus wept over the city because of the horrible calamities that would come upon them as a result of their missing, as a result of their missing their day of opportunity to know peace with God. Now think about this. To know peace with God I don't know how you got into the room. I just know you're here. And I know God loves you. And I know he has clearly outlined in his word things that you can't argue with. There's just no way around it. 
And you've been left with the facts. And I know this, from the basis of these facts, today you have an opportunity to know peace with God. Today. This is your appointed day. Just like April 6th, 32 AD was the appointed day for Jerusalem. And they didn't want it. I want to close with this last thought. It's so easy to hear numbers and dismiss them. 173,880 days. Dismissed. Clock ticking from 445 BC brings us to April 6th, 32 AD. Jesus walks into the city, weeps over and says, okay, whatever. Don't do it. You know, I've been living this life the way I want to live it, and I don't need God. And you know what? If there's a God, let him curse me right now. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us. Let's turn it off. There we go. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That means to change your mind and agree with the two simple rules of the universe. There is a God, and we are not him. But the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, fervent heat. I would just simply say this. The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night I, I was, I was uh, back on the West Coast. I was with a friend. Had I not been there at that moment, he'd be dead today. He choked. He was choking to death. He's got some extra time on this earth. One thing I was thrilled about is he already knows the Lord. I don't know about your clock. But you think Titus Vespasian and a million people dead or bad? The Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. You see, you're on this earth for, for this reason, to know God and make him known, to reconcile, reconnect with him. You and I are separated from God because of our sin. But Daniel 9 says God's taking care of the sin. How did he do that? Because the Messiah was cut off for his people, you and me. He bled and died so his blood would be shed for the remission of your sins and mine, so we could have fellowship with the Father. You reject that salvation and you deny the word that was given to you today and you step off this earth into eternity, you'll be separated from God for all eternity. You go, oh, so what? Everything that God is, hell isn't. You have no idea what you're saying. God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He is waiting for you. He's pulled out all the stops and laid it out very clearly. You can do your own historical referencing and you can look at me with a smug look. All I have to tell you is you do your work and you'll be blown away. The coming, the coming prince, Sir Robert Anderson, knighted by Queen Victoria. Do your own homework, pencil it out on your own. But I would say this, and this is final. 
Jesus wept over them because of the horrible calamities that were awaiting them because they had rejected their opportunity to have peace with God. And you think Titus Vespasian was tough. Today, God has pulled out all the stops to tell you he loves you. And he's come that you might have life and life more abundant. He's come to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The Messiah was cut off and crucified. On Palm Sunday, they came in and they called him king and they said, Hosanna. And a week later, they crucified him. They said king and then they said crucify. They said king and they said let his blood be on our hands. They said king and they said give us Barabbas. We are a fickle people. We wanted God to run by our rules. We didn't think a a king could be crucified and be more powerful on the cross than he was coming in on a donkey. But we needed a savior and that king died for you and he died for me. Palm Sunday is next week. And his sacrifice has already been established and he's come to give you life. Now in a moment, here's what I'm gonna do. Nobody gets to leave the room until we do this one thing. Now I'm not gonna arrest you. You can do leave as you mean. In a moment, I'm gonna have you close your eyes and bow your heads. And when I do that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, if there are any in the room who realize that today is a day of their salvation, They have come to the understanding and seen the clock of 173,880 days. They have seen the significance of the scriptures that speak to us today as Gabriel spoke to Daniel then, Gabriel speaking to us now. And you realize that the Messiah was cut off to deliver you from your sin, that today would be the day of your salvation, that God wouldn't weep over you, he would rejoice over you. The Bible says that when one person comes to a saving faith in Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. Today doesn't need to be a day of weeping. Today can be a day of rejoicing. And the way it's gonna happen is in a moment, I'm gonna have you close your eyes and bow your heads in a moment. And it's gonna be an act of faith. The gift of salvation is waiting for you. And your act of faith is gonna be real simple. I'm gonna say, if you wanna receive Christ as your savior, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand at that moment. And you'll go, that's too easy, yeah. It's easy for us, it was tough for him. But you must receive by faith. That is an action And so let's close our eyes and bow our heads right now. This is a holy moment. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. He wants to be Lord of your life. He's come that you might have life and life more abundant. He died that you would be delivered of your sin. He is the Messiah the prophetic clock of 173,880 days has proven it beyond a shadow of a doubt. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Jesus says to you today, I don't want to weep over you. I want to rejoice over you. And I offer to you today, Jesus says, salvation. There's no other name for which salvation can be had but that of Jesus Christ. If you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So as he holds out this gift of salvation for all who would believe. If this is your heart's desire and you want to receive Christ as your savior and have him rejoice over you, I want you to raise your hand right now. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you over here. Amen. Today's a day of salvation.
Amen. You can put your hands down. And if for some reason my feeble eyes missed your hand, I got news for you, God didn't. And certainly the angels in heaven didn't. They're rejoicing right now. Lord, the work you've begun in the lives of these folks that raise their hand in faith, you're faithful to complete it. God, they have received your salvation. He has been placed in the Father's hand. No man can remove. I pray that you give them a love for your word, which is living and breathing. Speaks even to us today as it was written to Daniel thousands of years ago. God, I pray that you would bless them, strengthen them, and encourage them. And we, with the angels, rejoice with our new brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. Let's clap for those folks who give their heart to the Lord.